The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. To celebrate the end of season two of Mini Questions, I'm thrilled to share a few more answers from our guests that you didn't get to hear over the course of the year. As I'm sure you know, we ask each guest the same seven questions every interview, but we don't always get to share every answer. But that's why I love having one last chance every season to share a few of the conversations with our guests that you haven't heard. So, to close out this season, here's a few of my favourite answers from guests this year that weren't in the original episodes, our deleted scenes from season two. And don't worry, while we might be tying a bow on this season, many questions will be back soon with brand new, fantastic, inspired and interesting guests. But for now... Let's get into season two's deleted scenes. Here is Pulitzer Prize winning author, Anthony Doerr. Tony, what would be your last meal? Mine would be crisps. Would it really? Would you really? No, have it would be, chips? I, would, no. I would have them. They would be there along with everything else that I was oh, going to yeah. eat. Yeah. I love, I love them. But, um, but what would your last meal be? Um, it's going to be predictably American, but I think I would do a hamburger. I'm trying not to eat beef very much, but I think if it's my last one, I'm going to go for it. I think you're fine. Uh, and then with like pickles, ketchup, mustard, the whole thing, then French fries with salt, really Mm. like salt. And then I would have vanilla ice cream with M&Ms on it. Now, is this something that you would eat when you were a child? Or is this something that you're just imagining what the distillation of deliciousness is? (laughs) I can hear it like Dr. Driver, the therapist in that one. Yeah, totally. (laughs) I might be connected. It is like a childhood meal, isn't it? But there's something about, yeah, maybe it's a, a mouthful of nostalgia and comfort. Because apparently I'm dying right after this. So that would well, suck. Well, I mean, I I know it would suck. It would. It's so funny. It's kind of like, but I also maybe in my version, like your last meal, I sometimes think about all the other reasons. Like it could be that you are like the last 
person on earth, or it could be in like the metaverse, in some virtual place, one can go and experience like that feeling of what the, your last meal is without you actually dying. <laughs> and then I think, but what would happen if you actually got trapped in the metaverse and then you, it really was your last meal? Yeah. And then I go mad and then it's four o'clock in the morning and I don't know what to do. I would like to say I could appreciate each meal I'm going to eat as if it were my last meal, but usually I'm like mm. breathing something and I don't taste it at all. I'm jamming mm. a whole donut right into my mouth and looking at my email and I realize I ate the whole donut and didn't pay attention. So I'm trying to be more present with the eating thing as because that's what your exercise really is about is defamiliarize the stuff we're putting in our mouths and taste it because it's incredible. Like we have access to so many spices that humans throughout history didn't have. I, like, I can go buy avocados in January in Boise, Idaho. It's incredible. So why, if I could just appreciate those things a little more and a bowl of vanilla ice cream where it's 94 degrees outside, that's a miracle. That's like an Aztec king would sacrifice like 40 people just to get that. <laughs> You know what? Yeah. Oh, I like that. I, I wish that there was a tribe that we would find who had deified frozen dairy. <laughs> that would be really I would cool. join. I would, I would totally join that. I would join that collection of, of people. 100%. Here is television host Katie Nolan. What quality do you like least about yourself? Ooh, how much time you got? <laughs> Honestly, though, I have spent the last whatever time, two and a half years, whatever we will all call the pandemic when we look back at this part of our life. I'm working on forgiveness of self. I'm very self-critical. And I know that's probably a common trait among people, so I'm not saying it makes me special, but it is something that I am trying to work on. Forgive myself for my shortcomings or understand them better so that I can engineer my life around them. But the one that will always haunt me is time management. I hate my lack of an ability to manage time. I get very caught up in my brain and I'm very curious. So I follow a lot of paths. Like I could spend an hour and a half reading about drama between two people I've never met and don't know and have never heard of until I see a headline of this drama that sounds interesting. I can read it and learn everything about it for an hour and a half. But then I just lose track of everything else. Scheduling things makes me so anxious. I was 10 minutes late for this, a thing that was very important to me, and I'm in my pajamas. But the most generous reading I've had of that is my good friend Mina Kimes, who also works in sports TV and is brilliant and is our future and our queen. She compared me to Andy Reid, and I know that might not land, but I can explain it. He's a football coach who is very creative in his play calling, but sometimes he gets so distracted by how creative he wants to be that he doesn't realize that the game is about to end. <laughs> and so he runs out of time to do the thing he wanted to do because he was showing off all the things he knows how to do. It was part of the thing that's helped me see the good intentions of my weaknesses and try to do my best at them where I can, and then be prepared to apologize for them or warn people of them ahead of time, <laughs> because nothing's worse than disappointing people. There are things worse than disappointing people. Yes, probably killing people, I think. Maybe after you've disappointed them. Yeah. Well, then you have to. They can't continue to live disappointed in me. I must rid the earth of their existence. I say this a lot, and it's a soccer term, which is even if it's going really badly, you have to play to the last whistle. You have to play with 
everything. Don't save all your creative play for the last 14 seconds of a game. But I'm a procrastinator. That's what I do. Because if I, as soon as I write it or film it or put it on paper, whatever it is I'm making, then it's going to be done. And I don't want it to be done. I like living in the part where you're figuring it out. Until it's perfect, I don't want to do it. Yeah. What about the idea that like it is never going to be perfect? I know. What about letting go of this constraint you've put on it and just be in the process, which you clearly love because God knows you create everything is self-generated that you do. Everything is about you creating this content and offering that up. And people clearly obsessively love what you do. Even the people that don't get it, (laughs) they love what you do. (laughs) That's like the, I think that might be one of the nicest things anyone said to me. I hope that you will be nicer to yourself because you're great. You're great. No, not really. I have my own shit to work on. (laughs) This is writer, filmmaker, and podcast host, Sam Fragoso. Okay, what, and I really want to hear this now because I think you might know things that I don't. What question do you most want answered? My question And it's something I've thought a lot about this year in the pandemic. Why do we often wait for conditions to get so bad before we make change? And that's true of love. It's true of this looming, ongoing environmental crisis. It's true of racial justice. It's true across the board. Why do we have to wait for the conditions to be so untenable before we try to make them tenable again? And it's something that really bothers me. You know, last year we did a podcast with Fran Leibowitz and back in the late 90s, we were talking about this piece she wrote, which was with Vanity Fair. It was like Naz Told To. I think it's called On Race is what it's called. And she makes all these great, witty, lovely, smart, thoughtful points as she often does about race. And she said, I didn't know about any of this within people of color within the black community until I had a friend that got pulled over while he had a Mercedes. And I thought, that's interesting, but why do you have to know someone? Why do we have to wait to know someone? Why can't we actually just believe people's testimony? And this constant thing this past year in the pandemic, whether it's around mask mandates or police brutality, why do we have to wait to have a secondhand account? What do we need? It's a really, really... Good question. Why do we have to wait for things to get so bad before we address them? And also, we don't seem to address them definitively. It's like we all know that there is a climate emergency and people are still just talking about it. I wonder what that is. What is that human thing? The easy answer is that it's laziness or slothfulness, as Fran would say. It also could just be life is really hard already. We're already trying to just make it through the day. When it comes to these big issues that feel larger than life, although they're very much of life, we let them go. We try to get on because, as you said, this is all over in an instant. She said, I know about people's experiences because I have friends that look like that person. And I think that applies to empathy in general. It's like COVID. It's like, yeah, well, I care about COVID because my friend died. And I had some people who died. Why would we have to wait for that? It's mystifying. I, th- I honestly think that we look at our lot. We look at our lot myopically and also to keep the gigantic nature of stuff that's happening in the world at bay. 
and that it's only when that bubble is penetrated by something personal happening, perhaps, and it should or shouldn't, that's how it is. Maybe you're saying when it comes to like change in education in this country, there's been a long conversation about giving kids free college or reducing tuition and all these things. And the situation's dire. We know it's dire. There's people not qualified for the jobs. There's not enough jobs to even be qualified for. Schools are more expensive than ever. We know, we all know this. And my dad, who's a teacher, mind you, I sometimes say to him, we should really think about changing this system. We should think about having these free colleges. And his first response, as a teacher, as a Mexican, yeah, but I had to pay for school. I had to pay for that. So it's like eye for an eye. It's like we're always paying off this debt. There's like this ongoing ledger that we need to toss out to say we're here now. Like, I'm sorry my dad paid for it, but it doesn't mean kids ought to now. So I don't know, maybe that's part of it. I, I think that also works obviously in that it wasn't me doing that oppressing. I didn't do all of that stuff. Why should I be responsible now? I think it just comes back to we are these individual entities and maybe it is some deep reptilian brain recognition that we are here for such a short amount of time and that actually our lot is all we really have the capacity to care about. And maybe there is some deep programming of just taking care of yourself and maybe your children because there's the DNA of the progeny. I think you're right. It will, what it does is it takes something that's really meant to stop you getting eaten by a wild animal. And you start applying that to social constructs that we have created as opposed to going, okay, we've created these social constructs. We need to develop our responses to them. But nobody wants to do that. They just want to make sure that they can take care of their own lot. It's alternately depressing and understandable because it's requiring us as humans to evolve to a place to meet what we've created. It's so existential because we've created all this stuff in the world, but it's like we haven't evolved enough to meet the shit that we've created with a response that is going to help it or change it. And so we just stick our heads back in the ground. There must be something hopeful in the specific context of when I asked Fran the question, I was 25, she was 68. It didn't even totally compute. And I bet if you explain the dynamic and situation to your son, who's much younger than I am, it would make complete sense to him. And it would make complete sense to my younger sister and my younger brother. So there is some hope in future generations that I think they're asking these questions. I think they feel it in their bones. Mm. I do. So that's the hopeful part. Yeah. And then they'll have their own bunch of shit to deal with. Yeah. Like, I think that's also part of our condition. Like, we continue to create stuff that we then have to solve. Or maybe it doesn't get solved. That's part of evolution. We might not survive our own sloth. <laughs> I thought I was the depressing one. <laughs> you know what? But we're here in this present moment being happy. It's all true. I think there is, uh, you're absolutely right, there is hope. My son does not look at the world the way that I do at all. He will have beginner's eyes with, with all the shit that we've created. It's really who is the janitorial generation who is really going to have to clean up all this shit. I think it might be you. <laughs> I think it might be your generation. Sorry, Sam. Here's a broom and a dustpan and brush. I am a fossil-like <laughs> 27. I'm going to hand that off. Oh, my God. I'm going to hand that off. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. 
The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com slash strategic. That's oracle.com slash strategic. oracle.com slash strategic. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Next up is comedian, actress, and co-writer of the TV series Starstruck, Rose Matafea. Okay, so what person, place, or experience so far has most altered your life? Oh, this is a oh, this is very hard. I feel like I haven't lived <laughs> a life to have answers to the question. I think experience and place, I think, would be a, be, be a big one for me. And that is, I think, just being from New Zealand, living in New Zealand, growing up in a place like New Zealand, it has an immense effect, I think, on, on, on anyone who um, went through that. I live in London now, but I think, yeah, I just wouldn't have been the person I am and do the things I do. And particularly, I think, you know, I, I started in comedy. Like, I, I don't think I would have had the attitude towards making things and making comedy and writing and just creativity in general uh, if I hadn't come from a country where it was like, I don't know, there's something specific about New Zealand. You know a lot of New Zealanders, you know, who like were in LA at the same time as you and still all those kind of, you know, people who have moved abroad. And and there is just this weird quality when you come from a country in the bottom of the world and you're allowed to like have this sort of sandpit of just doing whatever you want without, I think, a lot of the pressures, particularly in like you know, being a performer in like cities like London or like, you know, in, in the States and stuff. I don't know, you could be weird. But New Zealand seems to be this really extraordinary incubator for creativity. Mm. Like that's what I've noticed mm. with the actors, writers, directors, musicians that I know yeah. from New Zealand. It's like this brilliant creative science island where you're all <laughs> you're all grown and then you go off out into the world and everybody, because there is something recognisable. There, For me, there is something yeah. recognisably Kiwi. There is a, mm-hmm. a way of seeing the world that is brilliant mm-hmm. and clever and also doesn't really give a fuck, but is yeah. curious and fascinated and not, or at least not publicly judgmental. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but rather, well, rather sort of like, yeah. let me have all this input. 
maybe mm. again from being from little yeah. lovely islands at the you know in the southern hemisphere <laughs> well, there's, there's a lot of this pressure i think i think the output of 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 lots of things like music and, and film that comes out of New Zealand. I mean, there's always like, a, it's always the funny thing. I think there's a very, I think Ireland and New Zealand have very similar, like a lot of my Irish friends, it's bizarrely like it's kind of similar traits, but I think it's, you know, farming and men with depression. Mm, That's and, it. And heavy drinking. <laughs> heavy drinking, sheep, farming men with depression, similar population size. Yes. That's the vibe. I think geography really obviously has an effect on a sort of national um, attitude and, and, and sort of, you know, even personality traits. But I think, I think you know, New Zealand is a place where there is like a, an earnestness as well sometimes in like a connection to the land that you're from and, and, you know, a sensitivity, I think, that maybe, you know, that other places have less or I don't know. I think it's just a great place for you to be a weird arty freak and like you know <laughs> learn to do something without pressure and you know you look at like you know Tycho or like you know Flight of the Concords or all you know yeah, Jermaine all those amazing yeah, yeah all given the opportunity to just fuck around for many years doing comedy and the same with you know filmmakers from New Zealand I think it's like the work is the focus sometimes rather than like the industry because there's like no there's not really an industry uh, you know down there um, as such, like as much as, you know, here or in America. And just, you know, a healthy attitude towards um, life. Certainly working in comedy and television and stuff. I think there's always, when when you've got another New Zealander, like I've got Alice Sneddon who I wrote, you know, Starstruck with and it's like Inception, you know, we're each other's token, just grounding each other and going, remember, none of this matters. It's fine. You are such a stupid silly person from we grew up streets away from each other this is all ridiculous and very funny and it's so great and healthy to have that I think it's yeah. so nice to have a mate doing all of this with it mean I, I, I imagine I'm very jealous of that it's lovely next up is actress and model Brooke Shields what relationship real or fictionalized defines love for you? You know, it's interesting because love in my personal life had always seemed conditional. Then I became a mother and all of it flipped on its head. It was no longer selfish. To me, that first feeling of unselfish love was was something I don't think, I thought I would love my baby and I, whatever, and I had a hard time with my first one postpartum wise. But Hmm. beyond that, I'd never known that kind of selfless love where I really, it was just purely about this, this other creature that I was both responsible for and the desire to be the best part of myself or version of myself instead of just fit into somebody else's idea of of what that love should look like, you know? Yeah, there was nothing you had to do to experience that love. It was in and of itself. Like, the, I I get that. It's, it's a, um, particularly, I think, you mentioned, like, the transactional nature of being an actor or trying to make a living doing it. And love is so wrapped up in that because love and approbation in terms of, like, an audience or people putting you in things. And then when you have a child... It's so beautiful how it just, it blows up that whole notion of you don't have to try to to do anything. You have to feed that baby and stare at it and love it and 
play with it and be. There's no, there's nothing you actually have to do. No. In order to engender that love. It's so pure. Yeah, and I think my my version of love, for me, even all romantic love, had a, it like had a goal to it. It did this, 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 and this, and then that would happen or or something. Or I'd be like, oh, look at me, walk, walk, walk. I like I would you know, like be doing a song and dance just to sort of get approval or... I was never really first in it. And so huh. it was was very odd. But then to have this primary thing kind of comes out of you and feeds on you. And it's the most hmm. <laughs> parasitic, crazy relationship, right? And to just think, yeah, that's she doesn't even know me and she loves me. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I must be all right. (laughs) Wait till she knows me. Wait till she gets to know me. (laughs) Here is comedian and television host, Graham Norton. Okay, so what would be your last meal? Um, It would definitely involve potato. What, because because you love potatoes? I love potatoes. I don't mean this to be stereotypical about Irish people, but is that because you ate a lot of potatoes growing up a lot of different ways? Or have you always always had an affinity for the tubers? I mean, I don't know. Whether it's, you know, nature, nurture, I don't know. But a bowl of mashed potato is so delicious. I remember seeing... um, What's that Bjork film? There's a scene at the end where she's on death row and she's getting her last meal. And I remember I was on a diet at the time. I was trying to lose weight. So I was eating lots of fish and salad and things. And they gave her her last meal and it was like chopped steak. It was a really big chopped steak with potato and gravy and da, da, da. And she pushed it away. And that was when I lost all sympathy for that character. Because I... <laughs> I thought, Eat it! <laughs> you moron! <laughs> Eat it! <laughs> That looks delicious. Get it down, yeah. So I do like the concept of last meal because all of us are going to have a last meal. But but our last meal will probably be toast. If, if you die of old age, you end up with toast. Which, by the way, that wouldn't be a bad thing for me. I love toast. Do you? Yeah, I really do. Yeah. If it If it ended up being my last meal, I'd be really pissed off if it were... The crisps that I didn't want, but I had to take a packet of crisps because I was hungry, but they didn't have the flavor that I like. And I ended up with like, I hate cheese and onion crisps. Like I ate cheese and onion crisps because that would be really a bummer for me. If that were my last meal. Well, you could ha- it would give you a reason to live. You'd hang on. <laughs> <laughs> I must get to the shop. <laughs> must not let that lingering shit taste be in my mouth for eternity. (laughs) Um, And also, I suppose uh, maybe this whole idea of last meal, it only makes sense in a situation like you're going to be killed. In fairness to Bjork, you would, I suppose, lose some interest in Well, that's what people have tried to say that to me. They've been like on the show, they've been like, well, they they were like, you know, I just think I would be 
I just, I don't think I could eat. And I was like, yeah, no, but let's just say you could. <laughs> let's just say you were really hungry because it is your last meal. And let's take the whole death thing out of it. There might be, I think I even said that to someone, there might be another reason why this is your last meal. And like, there was a really long silence. As to why would you be your last You're being meal? abducted by aliens and they don't eat. So potatoes, lovely potatoes, mashed potatoes. potatoes it's mashed mashed potato probably. Do you put butter um, and a little bit of cream or milk in your mashed potatoes or do you just... Well, now here's the thing. When I go out, I eat whatever. But in the house, it's vegan. And it? it's And it's one of the things about mashed potatoes. Because I always thought mashed potatoes were gorgeous because you put, you know, lots butter of butter cream. in them yeah. and da, da, da. Can I just say, we've been underestimating the potato this whole time. Just a bit of plant-based butter, olive oil, salt and pepper, and then mash away. It is as delicious as any mashed potato you've ever had. You're very surprising, Graham. I like that vegan mashed potatoes. But that Thank would be you. your last meal. And that, that I'm actually going to 100% make that. How, it's easy. Does it depend on what potatoes you use? Because in America, you can't get, you can't get like... Are they called Maris Piper? Are those the Maris ones? Maris Piper, yes. Those they, are my they, favorite. They, you can't get them in America. Can't find them. They are the most versatile. They are the most versatile. They, they are. Yeah. They are the yeah. best roast potatoes, the best chips, and the best mashed potatoes I've found. But in America, they must have good potatoes. They don't have, you know what they don't have? New potatoes. They have like russets, but the small potatoes, it's funny. I haven't found any really good ones, but then I've, I've never been to Idaho. Home of the potato. There. Yeah. Exactly. Maybe I gotta go yeah. there and do some spud research. <laughs> I bet you're smart. Yeah, and you like to hold your own in the group chat. We can help you drop even more knowledge. My name is Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Izadi. We host a daily news podcast called Post Reports. Every weekday afternoon, Post Reports takes you inside an important and interesting story with the kind of reporting that you can only get from The Washington Post. You can listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. Go find it now and hit follow. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah! Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S., that's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com iHeart. 
That's lifelock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. This is the legendary journalist and television host, Christiane Amanpour. In your life, can you tell me about something that has grown out of a personal disaster? Well, I, I think my first personal disaster was failing my exams. I had never failed anything in my life. I'd never, ever failed anything in my life. I was always, you know, first or second, uh, you know, in my class. No, no, sorry. No, Joanna Blundell was first. Wow. You've never forgotten Joanna Blundell. I've never forgotten. I was 11 years old <laughs> until 18 years old. I've never forgotten it. But just to say that when I did fail my A-levels, I was desperate. I've never been that desperate. I've never sunk into such a hole and I didn't know what to do. I did not know what to do with my life. And I sent me home to Iran and I spent that year in the revolution. And, you know, you, you wouldn't want to say that that was a good thing that came out of failure, but that was a constructive thing that happened in my life that put me on the path to my future. What did you do in that year? What, what well, did you I did do in that year? Like, what did you Secretarial like? work. I did a little this, a little that. But during a revolution, a cultural and a religious revolution. Well, it was hard because, uh, you know, I was of the class and the, the group who was being revolted against. So it was, right. you know, not that easy for me to, to get in to see what was going on. I watched it from the sidelines as it, as it unfolded right. outside my door or whatever. I did not go into the protest. I just watched and I talked and I listened. And then in the end, my father sent me out just before Khomeini came back because he said, if you don't go now, you don't know what will happen. Yeah. And I needed to go to university. So that's what happened. I really do not mean in any way to be disrespectful, to make light of what must have been an unfathomable time in Iran's history. But I do kind of love the idea that you failed your A-levels and then we're like, okay, I guess I'm just going to go back to the revolution then. Like, there's, there's no point anymore. I'm just going to go back and watch everything change. And like, that's, 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 kind of, that's kind of amazing. Yeah, it sort of happened after I failed. But it was great. I mean, what can I tell you? It, it wasn't great for so many people. Many people lost their lives. In fact, in my own family, my father's brother, my uncle, was arrested and in jail. And, and he was either killed or died or, or tortured to death. We never saw his body. They never gave it back. Um, and so oh these things God. stick with you. It, it, it's a very particular context that you then go out into the world to do what you do. And I think it's astonishing that you survived that, that you survived not just physically, but mentally. And I know you've said that so many people didn't. Well, to bring it back to what you've been asking me, I survived because of love and happiness and joy and knowing how to see it and how to recognize it and wanting it. Hmm. And that is true for all of us as well. I mean, that that is a wonderful thing to hear. And that's a wrap. Thank you so much for listening to season two. And I can't wait for you to join me next season for even more guests, more laughs and more surprises. You know, when I first started Mini Questions, I wanted each episode to help us create some sort of cultural anthology. Every new guest giving us new stories that highlighted our differences and our similarities. Whether we're reliving early gigs at CBGB with Debbie Harry 
sharing fried halloumi cheese with Inez Mitchell or talking about dog psychics with Graham Norton. I hope you heard something that made you laugh, something that surprised you, maybe even something that made you feel a little more connected to the world. Until next season, be sure to follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Driver Mini and subscribe to Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts to be the first to know about our new episodes. I can't thank you enough for listening. Thank you so much. Mini Questions is hosted and written by me, Mini Driver. Supervising producer, Aaron Kaufman. Producer, Morgan Lavoie. Research assistant, Marissa Brown. Original music, Sorry Baby, by Mini Driver. Additional music by Aaron Kaufman. Executive produced by me, Mini Driver. Special thanks to Jim Nicolay, Will Pearson, Addison O'Day, Lisa Castella and Anique Oppenheim at WKPR, Dela Pescador, Kate Driver and Jason Weinberg, and for constantly solicited tech support, Henry Driver. Additional production for Mini Questions with Mini Driver Season 2 provided by Zoe Denkla and Carl Cadle. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA.